So yesterday morning, <laughs> thank you. Yesterday morning, I was speaking at a funeral, and there was this family, these gorgeous kids sitting to my right, mourning the loss of their father, little kids. And as I was speaking, God was just tearing me up, and I was trying to ignore them because I didn't know if I could hold it together, especially this one little girl if I looked into her eyes. In the middle of the sermon, God's just tugging me, and, and, and I'm just praying for them as I'm talking. I had this conversation going on with God in my head as I'm talking. I know, it's sort of weird. I'm seeing a counselor for that. <laughs> and I'm saying, God, I, I pray that they would know you as their heavenly father. Because you are a, a father that will never leave them, never forsake them. And at this young age, if they would come to know you, God, as, as their heavenly father, as their God who looks after them, after God who provides for them, they can make it, they can thrive, but God, if they don't know you, God, God, I pray that you'd have mercy. And I was thinking about you guys and, and, and praying over you last night and this morning and praying that in a, in a similar way that you would know this God who loves you so much and as we go through this study experiencing God that it wouldn't be just another series or another set of sermons or for some of you another study that you go through on your own but, but that it would be a time where you experience God. It would be a time where you, where you realize that this God loves you and, and not only does he just love you but he has a plan for you like tomorrow morning when you wake up he's got a plan for you. It's not go to work, check that off my to-do list, Whew, another day's done. It's like he literally has a plan for your life. The scriptures say a, a plan for good and not for evil, a, a plan that gives you a hope and a future. And as I was praying for you, I, I just started thinking, my mind was wondering, it's my adult onset ADD at work, thinking, what if God was, was dreaming for you of what your life could be? And he wrote a little list down and he had it. And then you brought your five, 10 year plan, whatever. And you're like, here's my idea, God. And he's like, here's my idea. But what, if, what if God, if this were to happen, that God were praying for you and I and we could hear what he was praying for us, what he was asking of us to do? What, what would that sound like compared to what we pray for? And I thought about this pastor I heard a number of years ago share a story. In the middle of the night, his daughter woke up, and, and she had a nightmare, and she's crying, Daddy, Daddy, come, come, I'm scared. So he, he takes off, and he runs into her room, and, and she's like, Daddy, will you pray for me? I'm scared. And he's like, absolutely, honey, I'll pray for you. And, and, and she, he says, what do you want me to pray for you, honey? And she says, Daddy, just, just pray that I'll be safe. And he just stopped, and he said, I'm sorry, I can't pray that for you. And she's stunned, and she looks at him, and she says, I, I can't pray that you'll be safe, but I can pray that God will make you dangerous. And she said, yeah, Daddy, pray that. Pray that God will make me really dangerous. Now, I heard this story before I had kids, and I thought, that sounds like an awesome dad. And then I had kids, and I'm like, God, please protect my children. Keep them safe. <laughs> But, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Like we can get caught in this trap of where we want everything to be safe and secure and, and we don't want risk involved in our lives. We just want it to be safe. 
we never do anything of significance, only playing it safe. Just a couple years ago, our, our youngest is Will. He's six years old now, but a couple years ago, he's four years old, trying to learn how to swim. And, and, and he could do it. He just was scared to death of, of, of doing it. And so there was that time where I'm in the water, and he's standing on the edge. And, and I'm like, come on, buddy. You can do it. You can swim to me. I'm a little bit out there. And he's like, I, I, I can't do it, Daddy. I'm like, bud, I know you can do it. I've seen you swim. Just, just take the step. Jump off. Come on. You can do it. And, and he's like, I, I can't do it. And he's pausing, pausing, pausing. Finally, his mom just walks by and is like, whoom. And he has this look of terror all the way down to the water. And he hits the water and he comes up swimming like Michael Phelps. I'm like, I told you you could do it. All you needed was the push. All you needed was take the step, get in there and do it. And I wonder how many of us have been on that edge of saying, ah, I think God's calling me. I think God's speaking I know there's another step. I know there's, there's something I'm missing out on. But instead of stepping out in faith, we shrunk back in fear. Instead of, of, of saying, you know what, God, I know that you're able and, and I'll trust you. And, and walking out, we've said, oh, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I'm able and we've missed out on one of the greatest moments God has ever had for us. And bigger than that, other people have missed out on the blessing that would come through our obedience. Some of you in here, you've been a Christian a long time. And you've been playing it safe for a long time. What would it look like for you to take a step of faith? What would it look like for you to say, I'm going to do it through God's strength and his empowering. I'm going to trust that he's able. I'm going to take that step. So that's what we're going to talk about today. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that. Turn to Judges chapter 6. We're in this series called Experiencing God. It's, it's all about this idea of, of the God of the Bible, the God of all creation. He is at work around us. He is working all around us. And whether that's in India or Kenya, Africa or Chandler, Arizona, even Maricopa, Arizona, I know that's hard to believe. God is at work all around us. And whether it's at work or at school or in the community we live in, God is at work all around us. And this same God pursues after us for a love relationship. He loves us so much. He wants a relationship with us, Scripture says. And the same God, He invites us. He's working all around us. He loves us. He invites us to be involved in His work. Last week we talked about this God who loves us and invites us to be involved in his work, speaks to us and calls to us. And he speaks through prayer and through the Bible, through the church and through circumstances to let us know how to follow him step by step by step. So today we're going to look at this very simple idea that says when God invites us to be involved with him, he invites us to be involved with a God-sized activity, something bigger than we can do on our own. But every time he invites you to this big God-sized activity, you'll always face a crisis of belief. And you and I have to decide how will we respond? What will we do when that moment happens? So we're going to look here in the scriptures at the life of this, this guy named Gideon in Judges chapter 6. And I don't have a lot of time to set it up. It's a, it's a great story. And I encourage you, grab your Bible, 
Sometime later today, read Judges 6, 7, and 8 and hear this story. But, but it's this amazing story that, that God has been telling since the beginning of time as he created all that is in Genesis 1. And then he tells the story of his people and reaching out to his people through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And, and then in Joshua, this guy Joshua comes on the scene because Moses has died and Joshua leads God's people into the promised land. They get to the place that God has promised them. But they're not there very long when they start making a mess of things on their own. And for a little while, they'll follow God and try to do the things that God has told them to do. But before long, you know what? They're messy and they're screwing their lives up and they're doing all all kinds of goofy things. And then God in his grace sends somebody to say, you're goofy, you're screwing your lives up, come back to God. They listen and they come back to God. But you see throughout Judges, cycle after cycle of cycle of the people falling away, God being gracious and bringing somebody to bring them back, men and women who are judges, bringing them back. And Gideon is one such story. So let's, let's pick it up here in Gideon chapter 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah, I think it is. Interesting. That belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, I know you guys know this, and as soon as you read that, you're like, man, that Gideon's so crazy. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press, right? That's what you were thinking when you read that. But the reality is you're exactly right. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. What he is doing, he's hiding out. He's hiding out. He, he's scared to death because they're outside the city walls. There is this enemy army, the Midianites, 135,000 people strong, ready to attack Gideon and his city. And Gideon and his men of about 32,000 are all scared to death. And Gideon's doing his work, but he's hiding out because there's trouble all around them. Verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, if you hear that, you're thinking, this, is, this dude's a stud, right? I mean, it's like Rambo meets Commando. And it's, it's just this guy who's, who's just Jean-Claude Van Damme, for those of you who are 80s. And like right now, I don't even know who the, who the one right now is. Who's somebody now? The Rock, okay? They're the Rock. And you're thinking, when, when the angel of the Lord is saying, oh, you're mighty warrior, this guy must be awesome. But what we will learn in just a few minutes is this guy is not awesome, not awesome at all. He's like, he's not varsity, he's not even JV, he's like JV practice squad. He's like the last guy picked for kickball. Nobody wants him on his team. He, that's why he's threshing wheat in the wine press. Nobody else wants to do it. He's the low man on the totem pole. And this angel comes to this nobody And he says, hey, mighty warrior. And he's not speaking to who he is right now. He's prophetically speaking to who Gideon can be and will be through God's strength. And he's saying, this isn't who you are now, but in God. This is who you are going to become. Mighty warrior. Verse 13. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, Why has all this happened to us? The angel said, the Lord is with you, and that should make all the difference, right? And Gideon said, well, if the Lord is with us, look at our circumstances. The circumstances don't look like God is with us. Everything's going wrong. 
If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Has God really abandoned them? No. Did it feel like God had abandoned them? Yes. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? To this nobody, this ordinary guy, who has nothing to offer, no resources. He is not at this time a mighty warrior. The angel of the Lord comes and he says, I want you to go and I want you to save Israel. Now, did you remember the the equation there? 32,000 soldiers scared to death inside of a city. Outside the city, 135,000 soldiers ready to pounce. But God hasn't been factored into the equation yet. And the angel of the Lord says, I want you to go and I want you to save them. I want you to do what only God will be able to accomplish through you. And what we learn through this story and what we, those of you who are going through experiencing God, you will shortly be studying is this idea that when God invites you to join him in his work, when God says, I have something I want you to be a part of, it's always a God-sized assignment. God God always invites us to be a part of something that is bigger than ourselves. God really does always invite us to come to the ledge to where we're at the end of ourselves, the end of our resources, the end of our ability. And he says, I want you to take a step. And I want you to trust me. And it has nothing to do with who you are or what you have to offer. It has everything to do with who I am. It's like when God comes to Abraham in Genesis and God says, Hey, Abraham, I want you to be the father of many nations. And years later when Abraham's 75 and God comes back and says, Hey, Abraham, you don't have any children yet, do you? No, I don't have any children. I want you to be the father of many nations. And Abraham's like, "Um, God, I'm 75 years old. In case you forgot, my wife, she's really old. And God says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Moses is a shepherd on the backside of the desert running away from God and this burning bush is in the desert and the voice of God starts speaking to him out of the bush and and it says this, Moses, I've seen the oppression of my people. The, The Israelites are slaves. They've been in slavery for years and God says, Moses, I want you to lead them out of slavery. And Moses is like, I'm a shepherd running from you on the backside of the desert. You want me to lead them out? In the New Testament, you read about this maiden, 13, 14 years old maybe. The angel of the Lord appears to her and says, Mary, you're going to have a baby. She's like, got a big problem here. One big problem at least. She said, the the child that is going to be born of you has God as his father. And this child to be born with you will save his people from his sins. Name him Jesus because he's going to be great bigger than them, more than they could handle on their own. But God-sized invitations, God-sized assignments to do something, to be a part of something bigger than them, that is the way that God works. That is the call that God places on our lives. Not that we could just handle 
whatever comes to our, us in our lives through our own strength, but that we would be a part of something bigger and greater than ourselves. This week, I've been learning this story of this, this family from Charlotte, North Carolina. North Carolina, anybody? Woo! Nope, just me. That's what I thought. Always happens. There's never love for North Carolina anywhere I go. Lisa Turkhurst and her family from Charlotte, North Carolina. A few years back, they were going through this um, evaluation at Christmas time, and they said, what can we do to offer ourselves back to God for all he's done to us for the next year? And her husband and her came up with this idea. For the next 365 days, we're going to do something every day to serve somebody, to help somebody. Small, it may, some things may not even cost anything. We're going to do something every single day to serve somebody else. So they set their three daughters down and they said, girls, here's, here's what we're going to do for the next 365 days. We're going to do an experiment. And as a family, we're going to be a blessing to other people. They felt like God was saying to them, we want, I want you to do something for me. So they started doing this. August rolls around, eight months later, and there's this boys' choir that is traveling through town, and uh, Lisa's going to take her daughters for a cultural experience, and so that morning they wake up, and, and she tells her daughters, hey girls, tonight we're going to go see the Liberian Boys a cappella Choir. And, and so she gets out the globe, and she's looking, she's like, I think Liberia is somewhere like in South America, and they're looking for it, and her oldest daughter's like, mom, duh, it's, it's in it's West Africa. So they go to the globe. They finally find it. Mom's like, okay, sorry, clueless. Didn't know what was going on. So they go and they're sitting through this amazing concert. As these boys have been in America singing, civil war has erupted in their country. So they have no home to go back to. And all, all Lisa's there for is a cool concert. And in the middle of the concert, as the boys are singing and sharing their testimonies, she said it was as if God spoke deep within my heart and said, Lisa, Two of those boys are yours. And she's like, whoa, 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 what was that? No, 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 no way. Lisa, two of those boys are yours. And she's like, whatever. That's just a crazy thought. So um, her and the girls are invited backstage after the concert. And so they walk there and, and she says, this is just playing in her mind. And she just says, okay, God, I'll give you two minutes. I'm going backstage. I'll give you two minutes to do something. So they walk backstage and there's just all these boys singing and families meeting them and just, hey, how are you doing? Thank you so much for singing. As soon as her and her three daughters walk backstage, two little boys come running up to her, grab onto her leg and say, mama. And she's like, oh no. Where's my cell phone? I have to call my husband. Hey babe, how are you doing? Anything going on there? I've got to tell you something. I love how she's sharing this story. She said, this didn't come out of nowhere. In her quiet times, as she'd been studying, she'd been studying the issue of faith in the weeks before this. And God convicted her heart, and, and this is her line. She felt like God said to her, Lisa, how can you call yourself a person of faith if you live a life that requires no faith? She said she'd been trying to be a good girl, trying to obey all the rules, trying to be a good person and help neighbors and all that kind of stuff. But there was nothing that she was attempting in her life that if God didn't come through, she would be sunk. And so her and her husband, long story short, adopted these two boys, rescued these 
orphans, brought them into their home and gave them an unbelievable life, a loving family to be surrounded with. Amazing story, but it doesn't stop there. Because as they begin to go around and take friends to the concerts to hear this awesome a cappella boys choir that was singing and share the story about what God had done in their life, other families begin to say, hey, there's more boys who need to be rescued. And as a result of the story that God was working in Lisa and her husband's life, 44 boys were rescued in that immediate community, given a home, given love and a family to take care of them. And so Oprah got a hold of the story and Oprah said, this is like one of my favorite stories ever. And so she did a big story on it. And I'm like, that's pretty cool when Oprah says, uh, I like that. And God began to share the story and take it throughout the nation. And this lady has a ministry, Proverbs 31 woman. And so people begin to hear the story that, that was going on through Lisa's life. And people begin to know Christ from all over the world because of the story. And you may sit here and say, but that, yeah, that's huge. God would never do something like that with me. It's like I'm at zero and that's like 60. But, but you have to understand, it started with them saying, day by day, God, one day at a time, we want to open ourselves up to you. Day by day, God, we want to do one thing a day. That's it, one thing a day to help another family. She didn't know from the beginning of the story that that meant two boys were going to be adopted for the rest of their lives into their family. She didn't know that meant 44 boys would be rescued. She didn't know what the end of the story. She just said, one day at a time. But let's even go back further than that. Because it's true with the ex experiencing God kind of study we're doing. It was, big, it was even simpler than that, I guess. She was simply saying, we want to be obedient to God. And we want to know him. And by coming to know him and his scriptures and spending time with him, we'll know his voice. And when he speaks, we'll be sure. It's him speaking and him leading. Simply following him and knowing him and then being willing to say yes, whatever happens. She has this wonderful quote where she said, this is what she's learned through this process. Ordinary, average people united with God's strength can change the world. Did you get that? Ordinary, average people, you and me, Ordinary, average people united with God's strength, God-empowered, God working through us, we can change the world. Not because of who we are, but because who the God that we say we serve is, we can change the world. And so when God invites you to be a part of his work, he has a God-sized assignment for you, something bigger than you're dreaming about and that I'm dreaming about on my own. Look with me back in Judges chapter 6, verse 15. So the angel has said to him already, go in the strength you have and save Israel. And here's where Gideon replies, I think you got the wrong guy. Verse 15, but Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you. And if God is with us, and if God is for us, nothing is impossible. And if God is with us and God is for us, we can do anything that he leads us to do. We can make it through any open door he provides for us. We can have the provisions we need after we say yes and start to obey. But here's the reality and here's the truth. When God invites us 
on these God-sized assignments, we will always, always, always have a crisis of belief. There will always be a moment when God says, here's what I'm calling you to. There's always a moment where it's like, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute, God. For Gideon, it's the, but God, how can I save Israel? That's always true throughout Scripture. If you look at Abraham, and Abraham's being called to be the father of many nations, and he's like, but God, I'm 75 years old, and she's even older. How can we have children? When God comes to Moses and he says, Moses, I want you to deliver my people from slavery. And Moses, I want you to be my spokesman to the king. Moses says, God, don't you remember I have a stuttering problem? Who am I that I should do that? And Gideon says, I'm the weakest in my whole entire family. I'm a nobody. And God says, but I am with you. And when he is with us, it makes all the difference. Seven years ago, we were living in North Carolina, praying about a decision to move to Chicago. The more we prayed about it, the more we talked to other people, the more we met with people from this church in Chicago, we felt that's what we were supposed to do. And, and, and our hearts started getting excited about being a part of a cool city, a cold city, but a cool city nonetheless, that, that we were getting excited about what was going on there, this opportunity. Everything looked good until they, they made the offer and said, here's the pay. And I laughed and I thought they were joking. I'm like, seriously? That's, that's what you, is it missing a number? Did you forget to add something else? Is there another column I haven't seen? And we ran out what it cost to live and the expenses and what they were paying. And the numbers did not add up. But God had not been factored into the equation. And we got to that place where we were standing on the edge and it was as if God was saying, this is what I want you to do. And I, like Lisa in that story, for the first time in my life, at 30 years of age, said, I've said for a long time I'm a Christian, and I've said for a long time I'm living by faith, but I've never done anything that required me to live by faith. Am I going to step out and believe that God is able to provide even when the numbers don't make sense? Or shrink back and play it safe and secure in what I know? And it's not easy but those moments, those crises of belief will always come when God gives us an invitation to do something for him. It happens throughout scripture. We see it in the life of Gideon when Gideon says, but God, I'm the weakest in my whole entire family, but here's the truth. And we'll see this in this next passage of scripture. Sometimes those crises of belief, sometimes things get worse before they even get better. Sometimes as you're stepping out in faith and believing God to, to, to help you into this next venture, you lose your job. You're like, but God, I'm, I'm trying to obey you and I lost my job trying to do what you wanted me to do or the relationships start getting difficult and you're like, but God, I'm trying to follow you and what's going on? 
Judges chapter 7. It gets worse for Gideon before it gets better. Gideon, his army of 32,000 people are starting to get ready for battle. It's sort of funny against 135,000 enemy soldiers on the outside. Verse 1 of chapter 7. Early in the morning, Jerubel, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of... I mean, it's near. The enemy is near. In verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. (laughs) He's like, God, did you count right? You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. God says, I want to do something that only I get credit for, Gideon. I want to do something and I want you to be obedient to walk into something that is bigger than you and your ability. It doesn't make sense apart from I did it. So in verse 3, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. And Gideon's like, can I leave? So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. So they are 32,000. And then Gideon obeys God and says, okay, if anybody's scared, you can leave. And 22,000 people depart. Well, there goes, see you guys. I guess it's just us, 10,000. Verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will sift them for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. So it was a test. You know, you guys know this military test, right? If you want to find a good soldier, you go to the water and who slurps and who brings it up with their hand. It's a crazy test. It's like, what? God, what are you doing? God says, I'm just pruning. I'm just moving in a way so that I get the glory. Verse 6, 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that have lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. And God said, with those 300, I will save you. With those 300, you're on the edge, Gideon. You're on the edge. But if you 300 will trust me and seek me and, and do exactly what I tell you, with those 300, I will do something that thousands and thousands of years later in Chandler, Arizona, we'll still be talking about today. But there's a big crisis of belief going on and we've got to know that this was not easy and Gideon is not a perfect example of faith. He's up and he's down and he's questioning, he's doubting, but through it all, he's walking boldly and trusting not in who he is, but in who God is. And there's a glimpse of it Flip back to Judges chapter 6, verses 22 through 24. Here's the glimpse that gave Gideon the confidence he needed. Here's the the glimpse that when Gideon was on that, that, that cliff, that ledge, and God was saying, take a step of faith, here's what 
enabled Gideon to make that decision. He didn't look at himself and say, God, who am I? I'm the weakest in my clan. And God didn't say, let me give him a pep talk. Gideon, you're really not that bad. God doesn't say anything. So you know what that means? God agreed with him. He's like, you really are the weakest guy. You really are pretty puny, Gideon. But through me, through me, you can do great things. So Gideon's on the edge of that cliff trying to figure out, do I take a step of faith or do I shrink back in fear? Judges 6.22, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord that he had been talking to, he said, Ah, sovereign Lord. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Sovereign Lord, it means you are the greatest, you are the highest, you are the most powerful, you are able, you are in control no matter what circumstance I face. You are sovereign Lord. And in the strength of who God is, Gideon had confidence to do whatever. Verse 23, but the Lord said to him, peace. Isn't that funny? He's getting ready to go into a war and God says, peace. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace, meaning that in any circumstance, God is bigger than it all. God is bigger than any problem. God is bigger than any issue I face. God is bigger than any obstacle. And the Lord is peace. When everything else is raging around me, the Lord is peace and I can trust him to deliver. And so the confidence that Gideon had, not in himself, not self-confidence, but God-confidence that God would deliver, enabled him to lead this army into deliverance. And here's the principle that experience of God, we can't miss at this moment. Yes, God calls us to God-sized assignments. And every time that happens, we will face a crisis of belief. But what happens next? Our response in that moment. Our response, whether we step out in faith or shrink back in fear, our response, it tells more about what we believe in God than what we believe about ourselves. Because we want to say in that moment when I'm moving to Chicago, we want to say, God, it doesn't make sense. I don't have enough money. I can't do this. But what I'm really saying at the core is, God, if I take this step, I don't believe you're good enough. I don't believe you're faithful enough to take care of me. When Moses is at the bush and he's stuttering before God and saying, God, I don't know if I can do this. It's more an indictment on his belief in God and saying, I'm not sure if you are who you say you are than it is any kind of humility of doubting himself. He's really doubting God. And what we do in those moments demonstrates our faith and our belief in who God is and what we learn from Gideon and what we learn throughout Scripture from Abraham and Moses and, and Patriarch and men and women of the faith throughout the Scriptures is this. God is able to do the impossible. God is able to do and to finish what he starts in us, what he calls us to do. Um, There's this unbelievable story I've heard a number of times recently. One of my favorite pastors in the whole world is a guy named Francis Chan out of California. And, And Francis recently moved to San Francisco to start this ministry to reach out to homeless people. 
And they had a big event coming up. And in this big event, they, they just felt burdened to reach 10,000 homeless people and to, to serve them and meet their needs, to give them food, to provide for them whatever they needed in, in the way of clothing and shelter and those kind of things. And so they had this big event and they were fasting and praying and begging God to do something because they felt like God, first of all, invited them, gave them this opportunity. There's a moment where they pause and they're like, that's going to cost a lot of money. Do we have the money to pull this off? Can we do this? But they felt like it was exactly what God called them to do. And so here they are. The event's coming up. It's the very week of the event. And they're ready for this. They're, they're making all the preparations. And all of a su- sudden, something happens. And, and all of the meat that they had, the main course of dinner, a big problem arose. And they just didn't have any meat to feed anybody anymore. So somebody calls, comes up to Francis and Francis, we have a huge problem. He's like, what? We don't have a main course anymore. We have no meat. And so the team gets together and they're like, what do we do? And they pull out their wallets, their cash and their credit cards. And they're like, there's 10,000 people. We don't have what it takes. So they begin to pray. And an hour later, the phone rings and it's a guy from a Trader Joe's store in San Francisco, and he says, all of our freezers just broke. We have hundreds of pounds of meat, fresh meat that's going to go bad if we don't get rid of it now. And so a U-Haul trailer pulls up full of fresh meat for this whole entire ministry of feeding 10,000 homeless people. And God provided right on time just what they needed to join him in this God-sized task. What is it in your life that you need his strength to do? What is it in your life that you're right on that edge and and, and you want to take a step and you you want to do that, whatever that is? But something keeps holding you back. Maybe for you it's not about going to some concert to adopt a couple kids. Maybe for you it's not about packing your bags to move to India to be a missionary for God. Maybe it is but maybe it's not. Maybe it's not about packing your bags to head across the world. Maybe it's just, would you step across the street and reach out to that neighbor? Maybe it's, would you take that first step in reconciling that relationship that's gone wrong? Maybe there's something God's been whispering, nudging you to take a step of faith and you've came up with excuse after excuse after excuse. God, I don't have the resources to pull it off. God, who am I? God, I'm not able to do that on my own. We have to acknowledge every one of those excuses is more an indictment on what we believe about God than it is who we are. Would you today be willing to say, God, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you are who scripture says you are. And today, today I'm willing to step out in faith and trust you. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for the truth of scripture. We thank you for the bold and audacious claims of scripture that says you are a God who longs to do through us things greater than we can ask or imagine on our own. You're a God who wants to do God-sized things through us. And so God, today we just come before you, Lord, and there's some of us here who we've never, we've never taken a step of faith. 
We've never experienced forgiveness of our sins. But you sent your son to die on a cross that we could be forgiven, that we could be set free. And for some of us, today is the day of salvation. There's some in this room today that were like me a few years ago. They've been a Christian a long time. They've said that they have walked by faith, but the reality is they've never attempted anything that requires faith. They've never attempted anything bigger than themselves. And maybe, just maybe today is the day that you would say, step out, trust me. It's not about who we are as men and women in this room. It's about who you are, God. And I pray today that you would give us the faith to trust you, the faith to step into the unknown, the faith to see you do what only you can do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.